Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I'm your host, Mireya Perez, a community interpreter in K-12 public education with a desire to listen to the stories of other language professionals from all over the world. These are your stories about our profession. You know, for a lot of translators, interpreters, the idea of diversifying their businesses may have never been a priority. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'm just, I'm a translator. I translate. And why would I offer, you know, my clients something else? And I get that. But being a professional translator or interpreter doesn't mean that you just fit into this box of only offering translation or interpreting services. Yes, you've got to hone your craft. You have to really, you know, go as far as you can in training and studying and becoming, you know, the best professional you can be in your area. But as you become more established, diversification is really safeguarding your business for the long term. Welcome back. I am so glad you're here today because today's conversation is just filled with so much great information that I hope you're able to take away and begin implementing right away. And I hope that by the end of today's episode, you will be asking yourself questions such as, what do I want to be known for? What skills do I have that I can begin implementing to help diversify my business or my services? Why is web presence so important? How do I go from learning to actually implementing the things that I have learned. My goodness, I'm telling you, there's just so much information in today's episode, and I hope that you find the answers to them in today's episode with our next guest. But before we go there, I want to take a quick moment to thank each and every one of you that have taken the time out of your day to post something on social media regarding this podcast. You know, one of the things that I've definitely learned is that when one grows organically, whether that be in our business or in our projects or even in our marketing, the growth may be slow. But what I've seen is that the growth continues. It hasn't stopped. And it hasn't stopped because of people like you that just are giving the podcast kudos on your platform and are sharing it with your colleagues or with your friends or with others that you know. I mean, I am seeing the listens, the downloads from all over the world, guys, and it makes such an incredible difference to this podcast. So, Thank you, thank you, thank you. I just wanted to take the time to let you know that I see you and I appreciate you. And now, on to our show. Madalena Sanchez-Sampaolo is a Spanish and ATA-certified Portuguese-to-English translator and the owner of Accessible Translation Solutions, a boutique translation company based in Southern California. With over 10 years' experience in the language professions, Madalena has a knack and a love for all things content marketing, web design, and online presence development for translators and interpreters. After seeing the benefits of having a robust online presence in her own business, Madalena now trains and coaches other language professionals on topics related to website creation, copywriting, SEO strategy, and online marketing strategies. She blogs on these topics and more, and I'm going to include all of these links in the show notes. So without further ado, here's Madalena Sampaolo. 
Madalena, welcome. Thank you so much for having accepted the invitation to come on the show and be a part of the Brand the Interpreter community. I am just super excited to have you here. And I know that what you'll share today is going to be super useful to the audience. So welcome, Madalena. Great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's get started with a little bit about your backstory. I always ask my guests if they can please share a little bit of their background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, actually, I grew up, funny enough, people don't believe me when I tell them this sometimes, I grew up in southern Mississippi, of all places. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't have a southern accent for the most part, although I've heard that Some people say it sometimes comes out a little bit. I don't know. I've never had a thick accent, though, that I know of. Um, But because my parents met each other um, overseas, and and it turned out that after they got married, my mother's um, parents settled in southern Mississippi because my grandfather was uh, in the Air Force. And so that was the last place he was stationed at the Air Force base there. So they wanted to be close to them. And they said, well, we'll just we'll just live here. (laughs) So that's what happened. Otherwise, we don't have any other ties to Mississippi um, at all. It's just, uh, just that's how it worked out. Uh, My father's family is from Spain, and my mother uh, was born in the United States. But they both lived in many different countries and traveled a lot throughout the world. So um, I'm a dual citizen, actually, I have um, Spanish citizenship and American citizenship. And I grew up just having a love for languages and travel because I think my parents always instilled that in us. So um, I have three siblings, three brothers, and I'm the third out of four children. And I always remember our summers going to Spain to visit our family. And that was always a really fond memory that we have, or I have. We would Mm -hmm. tend to never go for less than three weeks because it was just very expensive to take everybody there. Mm. Um, But I ended up being the one of the children who would go more often because I was so interested in language and I just love Spain. It's, you know, it's hard not to love. (laughs) On my bucket list for sure. Yeah. Madalena, did you, did you do schooling in Mississippi? I did. I went to um, the University of Southern Mississippi for college, uh, mostly because my, my father worked there. He was a, a professor. So the whole time I was growing up, he was a college professor. And so uh, with four kids, you can imagine (laughs) education can be very expensive. So let's see, three of the four of us went there. You know, you get a break in tuition usually when you have a parent that works for a university. And so we did that. And then I went on after that to do my master's degree at the University of Louisville. Mm -hmm. And was it during this schooling experience that you decided you wanted to become a language professional? Or did it happen to fall on your lap? like other guests have shared. Yeah, a little bit of both, actually. I grew up, it's funny, I grew up um, in a family of academics. So I wanted actually to be a professor uh, my whole life, teaching languages. Um, That was my thing. I always knew I wanted to study Spanish um, in school, but I just had in my mind that I was going to teach. I was going to be an instructor, professor. That's what I wanted to do. And I went to school for that. So funny enough, (laughs) I ended up going to, as I said, to do my master's in Louisville at the University of Louisville. With So I did a degree in Spanish with an emphasis in linguistics. And still, I thought I would be a professor. But turns out that the the interesting thing is I met my now husband there. He was uh, studying in, in Louisville from Brazil. And he's the one that ended up becoming the professor. And I went on to do translation where he was the one who actually has a degree in translation. (laughs) So it's like we switched 
That's funny. Yeah. And what was the inspiration behind becoming a freelance translator? So you get your foot in the door or you begin in this uh, world of translation. Mm -hmm. At what point did you decide, you know, I, this is definitely what I am doing as a career or did it, did it evolve slowly for you? It evolved slowly because um, like I said, I was finishing my I finished my degree um, in Louisville. And at that point, I thought I was still going to go on to apply to universities for my PhD um, to study languages and eventually become a professor. But um, he was finishing his degree. So I had about a year in there that I was not studying and I continued to teach. I So again, I stayed in academia for quite some time. I, I was teaching languages. I've taught now for three different universities. And at the same time, I was teaching as a lecturer for the University of Louisville after I graduated. Um, I started working for a small translation agency in Louisville as well. And I was doing some project management, but I was also um, doing some healthcare and, and community interpreting. So it was definitely part-time. It wasn't my full-time work uh, because I was teaching as well. But I ended up um, enjoying that so much that I assumed that, well, this is really what I should be doing instead. Um, then we moved. My husband ended up getting into um, Ohio State University in Columbus for his PhD. And uh, so we moved about three to three and a half hours north of Louisville to Columbus. And I ended up teaching there for the University of, uh, well, for Ohio State University. And at that time, um, I was looking for some interpreting work at the same time, and it turned out that um, I was being offered a lot of translation work. And so I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll give this a chance as well. I mean, I've always been uh, very fond of languages and learning and um, write fairly well, I would think, that, you know, that came across in my work. And so I loved translation and it was becoming more and more difficult for me to go to my interpreting appointments around the classes that I taught because, you know, you never know how traffic is going to be. You never know if an appointment is going to run longer or something like that. So there was a lot of stress there. Mm. Um, I always have a lot of respect for interpreters because there's so much running around as well that they have to do um, to make sure they're everywhere they should be on time. And it sounds a little flippant to say that, but honestly, it's, it can be really difficult when you live and work in, in a, a big city where you have appointments in a lot of different places. Yeah. And um, anyway, so I, I started translating and I loved it so much. So I would teach during the day and I would translate in the evenings. And I eventually realized I was doing something that I liked more in the evenings than during the day. And I said, I need to make this my job. So I think that was... Probably, well, I ended up starting um, around 2008 is when I started in, in the language um, translation and interpreting field. And then I opened my business um, in 2010. So yeah, May of 2010 is when I started um, and I went full time. So I quit teaching altogether. Um, I did go back to teaching one class here in Southern California where I live now. Uh, for two semesters to help out at the university here. I was teaching um, Portuguese, but I ended up saying, this is, not, this is, I remember now why I left academia <laughs> because I have a master's degree. And with, if anybody knows how it works um, at the university level, if you have a master's degree, you can only teach up to a certain level. Um, and so I couldn't teach higher than, you know, um, like mid, uh, it depends on what school you go to, but like th around 300 level you know, and I never liked the idea of having this ceiling that I couldn't 
kind of breakthrough to, to do more of what I wanted to do and instead of teaching like, you know, um, hello, how are you every day for the next however many years <laughs> of my life, you know? So I said, yeah, this is, this is not for me still. And so I just have continued to work in as a translator. Um, I don't interpret anymore. I uh, just it shifted that way. Maybe one day I'll return to interpreting, but for now I really like what I'm doing. Yeah, it reminds me of um, you know when we hear oftentimes about one door closing. Um, really, what it is is another door opening. So the mm-hmm. fact that here, you know, you felt capped out, um, yeah, basically opened the doors to something that you know definitely flourished uh, thereafter. So that's just a great example of you know when we could either feel like we're stuck or we can either create opportunity you know, and it, it's more like life is pushing us towards that direction. Right. So you yeah. felt that need and you went, you went that direction. Yes. And so, I mean, I, I do appreciate the fact that I still work in languages, which is what I studied. I know that a lot of people end up going and getting a degree and then they don't end up using it in their job, at least here in the United States, that can be very common. Right. But yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I have been able to continue teaching in a way that I enjoy because I really do enjoy teaching. I just, um, I just don't like all of the bureaucracy that goes with, you know, public universities and stuff. So I, I, I teach translators and interpreters, um, you know, online, other topics that are not language related, um, but right. more for like, business and online presence. Um, we're definitely going to get into that a little bit later on, but I, I was just going to say that, yeah, you are absolutely still teaching. It's just the environment um, is completely different mm-hmm. and your platforms that you're using are obviously completely different. Madalena, what do people often get wrong about being an independent translator? Um, I was thinking about this and I think that People think that if they just build it, then they will come kind of a mentality. Like they have the mentality Mm. that if I just build it, they will come, right? If I just open my business, I'll get clients. And that's just not how it works. Mm. Um, You can't just be available or have just a website or a directory listing somewhere and then think that clients will come to you. And I think that's sometimes it's obvious, uh, you know, to people, but then they don't really do much about it. And it's, it's a little bit. I think that's a mistake. It tends to be something that I hear from a lot of colleagues that they say, well, I don't really, I'm not good at marketing myself or, or I don't, I don't like to sell or I don't want to talk about myself to people. And it's, it's actually not really about that. It's, it's less about you than it is about your customers. It's like, how are you going to show up and serve them? How are you going to get them to find you? Because you can't just open a business and think that they'll, they'll just come knocking on your door. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, can you recount a story? Do you remember when you first started, what was your biggest challenge and what do you feel it taught you? Hmm. I think that's part of it. I think that that was probably the biggest challenge was Mm -hmm. thinking, okay, so where do I find my clients? And then, uh, well, I guess two things. One was, you know, I think it's easier to find agency clients than it is to find direct clients. And Mm -hmm. so, and I'm not saying that it is easy at all in any aspect, but it is easier to find agency clients than it is to find direct clients because sometimes, you know, you're not sure at first where to look for direct clients or it is a bit more nerve wracking, right? I mean, agencies are always looking for more contract translators and interpreters, but I think that was one thing that I did early on. And I just got comfortable. So I had agency clients that um, I had very good volume of work 
from, but I did not at the same time do the marketing to try to continue that revolving door of getting more clients or better clients, I should say. Um, And so that went on for a few years and I realized, what am I doing? You know, this is not the type of work I want to be doing long-term. This is not the type of lifestyle I want to have where they're constantly sending me work or they're, they're contacting me on the weekends. And that was early on. And I remember going, this is not how it should be. (laughs) But we, and I say we collectively, because I think a lot of people do this, freelancers in general, we tend to just say, well, that's how it is. And we just, you know, say, well, then that's how I have to work if that's how the clients work. And that's not true, but it is difficult to say, okay, let me do something about this. You know, you get either really busy with work projects or you get to the point where you want to, you know, start working with other clients and you hit one roadblock. I don't know this, or I don't know that. And you just, you don't do it. You put it on the back burner. So I think that's something that everybody probably has a challenge with and not just, you know, in your startup stages. I think it can happen on and off throughout your career. I talk to a lot of colleagues now that say, oh, I've been meaning to work on my website for so long and I just, I just never did it because it was so intimidating or overwhelming or I didn't know where to start. And that is the thing. You just have to start. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's one thing is just getting, try not to become complacent. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something uh, as well that's super important, which is you do get to a point where you need to establish those boundaries, whether you are an independent contractor or not. Um, but I think it's the fear of, right? So maybe for the freelancer, the independent contractor, if you begin to set some boundaries, you fear losing income or losing clients or, you know, so because of that fear, you, you stay in a situation where, you know, it doesn't feel right, but you, your fear is bigger than, you know, your ability to take action towards it. Would you say? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I hear and see that from a lot of colleagues. And especially now, I think it's being compounded by everything that's going on this year with the pandemic. You know, I think a lot of people are feeling some downward pressure to either just take whatever they can get or lower their prices. And I'm, I understand the need to take what you can get to make a living, but at the same time, not at the cost of your your well-being. So. Your well-being, absolutely. And speaking of adjusting to current circumstances or difficult circumstances, one of the posts that I came across that you wrote with regards to diversification in the profession, I think for me, it really hit because for years... I felt that, no, this is what I went to school for. This is what I trained for. This is where I need to stay to make all that money that was invested (laughs) worth it, right? You just spoke about that. But once I read that, uh, it was a a blog post, correct, Madalena? Mm -hmm. Yes. It just made me realize like, yeah, I can absolutely embrace everything else that I'm also excited about and make it work or rather, you know, like put it together so that it's a part of me and the work that I, that I do. And it's made Mm -hmm. such a difference feeling like it's okay to embrace all other parts of what I'm good at, not just feeling like, oh, we, I have to focus on just this specifically, but I'd Mm -hmm. like for you to expand on it because you, you talk about it so beautifully and I'd love for others to be able to hear what do you mean by diversification? 
Yeah, so I actually really like the definition that comes from Entrepreneur. If anybody follows Entrepreneur, they have a website, they have a magazine, but they give a definition of diversification, which is a risk reduction strategy that involves adding product, services, location, customers, and markets to your company's portfolio. So I like the first part of that the best. It's a risk reduction strategy. So the idea being that you can add something to your business that allows you to have less risk if something in your business doesn't go well. So I know diversification is not really something that a lot of freelancers tend to think about regularly, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's really important and it is a smart way to think about and run your business because especially this year, a lot of people have seen that, you know, if they were just doing one thing and that one thing suddenly stopped because of everything going on with COVID-19, all the stuff shutting down, you know, things moving online, that they lost an immense amount of work. But those who had a more diversified business said, mm-hmm. well, it did it did go down in a few places or one place or something, but not my entire business because they had expanded in the sense of saying, I am not just, you know, a one service wonder. <laughs> you know, right. I don't just do one thing. I am a diverse person. I have diverse skills and I can bring a lot to, to the table when it comes to helping my customers. Um, you know, for a lot of translators, interpreters, the idea of diversifying their businesses may have never been a priority. And I've kind of like you said, I've, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'm just I'm a translator. I translate. And why would I offer it, you know, my clients something else? And I get that. But being a professional translator or interpreter doesn't mean that you just fit into this box of only offering translation or interpreting services. Yes, you've got to hone your craft. You have to really, you know, um, go as far as you can in 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 training and studying and becoming, you know, the best professional you can be in your area. But as you become more established, diversification is really safeguarding your business for the long term. And I think that there are ways to diversify your business that are still very much related to the language professions. Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. And I think that when I read that and it definitely resonated with me and I am not audience knows I am not a freelancer. I, you know, I am not an independent contractor. I do work for a K through 12 school district, mm-hmm. but I, I realized that diversification can even happen if you're an employee of an organization, because you are tapping into those skill sets uh, that you have to into your work, right? And you immerse that into the work that you're currently doing with who you're working with. And it just helps to uh, do all kinds of things, amplify uh, the work you're currently doing, um, branding uh, the work that you're currently doing within your organization, all because you've embraced all the other strengths and skills that you have. Um, and I feel that it, it it works both ways. You know, like I said, I, I, I read your blog post and I thought, this is amazing because it's so true because it was in a moment in time where I felt like I like this, but I also really like this. And so how can I marry them together rather than I'm trying to separate them? And that's, I felt that I was going against the current. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of things to think about here. One of those, I think with a lot of um, translators and interpreters where we we don't diversify is because we're worried what other colleagues are going to think of us. And I think that that is a huge mistake. Um, You know, Nobody else puts food on your table but you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody else um, 
you know, needs to answer to anybody uh, in your family who you support, but you. So I think nobody has the place to judge anybody for what they want to do and share with the world. And everybody's skill sets are so different. You know, mm-hmm. we do have a lot of, of interpreters who are also trainers. That's diversification. We have translators who can also work in localization. That's diversification. Mm-hmm. There's so many things you can do to try to avoid those famine cycles that you hear so often freelancers talk about. Mm. And it is just a really important time now to say, whoa, okay, this is a wake up call. Um, the current economic crisis has taught people a lot. And if you just look around yourself at the businesses that have done well through this, which has not been easy, uh, and I'm not even talking about translators and interpreters, I'm talking about any business, um, you know, hair salons, restaurants, shops, everybody that, you know, has any kind of brick and mortar uh, location uh, or other services. You know, uh, I know that a lot of gyms started teaching fitness classes online something they had never done before yeah yeah Yeah. and those are those are the businesses that if if they were able to pivot quickly and start saying okay how can we serve our customers still even though they can't come into our business those are the ones that have done well and I've seen other ones that just had to shut their doors because they said either we we can't keep up um doing and and I understand those that had to shut their doors this has been a very extreme time um but it took some I think it took some creativity and some very quick pivoting for a lot of businesses to be able to survive this. And I mean, I'm in California too, like you. So you know that we've had kind of an opening and a shutdown and it's kind of gone back and forth a few times. And so it's something that we can learn from other businesses and what they do, whether their circumstances apply to us or not. The amount of creativity and just resilience that we see is something to really kind of absorb and say, okay, how can I apply this in my business? Because, I mean, if you think about what has happened this year, especially for interpreters, but I mean, translators too. I've talked to a lot of translators who've lost 50, 60% of their business this year. Yeah. You know, the ones that say, okay, I'm looking into working in another specialization or I'm, I'm looking to start building up this other side of my business or, you know, maybe I, I can look into more work and localization because right now uh, a, a big area is is uh, localization of games and apps mm. that's a, become a big um, hot market as well. So I think people are sort of still processing what's going on, but at the same time, I think this is sort of a lifelong lesson for a lot of um, freelancers to say, okay, I don't want to be in this situation again. You know, right. and whether it's a pandemic or whether it's just, you know, you lost your biggest client, it's, it's, it's remembering to not put all your eggs in one basket. That's really important. We had uh, another guest on the show that uh, spoke about this very same thing, which was the fact that she had one major client and she was their client for, ye- I mean, uh, they were uh, her client for years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the main source of her income. Mm-hmm. And she had other smaller clients, but this one was a, a you know, big company and uh, pretty much she was their go-to translator. And then they went through, you know, uh, a buyout and they moved out of the country. And so she was basically dropped. She did talk about that very important lesson that she learned, which was not putting your eggs all in one basket. And I think another thing that you reminded me of was earlier when you were talking about the fear of uh, ridicule, the fear of what other people might think. 
Ewandro Magañas, and I'm sure I'm, I'm butchering his name as I usually do, pretty known for that. Uh, the author of The Language Game, he talks about that. He talks about, is it really fear of performance? You know, when are we, are we talking about fear of performance of how well we're going to do, or are we really talking about fear of ridicule? Are we, are mm -hmm. we thinking that people are going to criticize and judge? And, you know, so I think it, it's everything, right? You know, when we talk about diversification and you want to tap into something else and uh, you feel like, oh, but what are my colleagues going to say? Or what are other professionals going to say that I'm trying to do this as well? Or, mm -hmm. and, and just like you said, you know, it really is about who ends up putting the, the food on your table? Who is the one that's paying the bills? Who, you know, how do you diversify yourself? And without caring about what other people are going to say. But so it's easy to say, this is what we should do. But then how do we actually do it, Madalena? How can a language professional strategically diversify? Like, what are some things to consider? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say the first thing is to consider how you can position yourself now for the long term. So if you put a little bit of thought and some strategy behind this, it's something that you can do um, for your business that will really take you very far. And it's something that you may have to do a few times over the years in your business, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's kind of like what you were just saying that we've already mentioned um, about not worrying so much what other people think, because honestly... You should be proud of the fact that you have other skills. I think that's a really good thing to, to have. Mm. Um, but so I would say uh, you can you can work to be seen and sought as an expert in your specialization or language pairs. Um, and, and I also still offer complementary services and skills. So ask yourself two things. One, what do you want to be known for? So we know that we have certain clients who... Um, are known for, you know, a certain product that they produce or a certain service that they have. But we also are known for certain things. I can think of several colleagues who, if I heard from somebody today that said, hey, I need a translator for this type of, of document, I could probably think of somebody who I know is known for that type of, you know, field or, or language or something. So what do you want to be known for? And what skills do you have that you can offer somebody that would help them to reach their goals, meaning your, your customers? So yes, of course, translation or interpreting can help somebody to reach their goals. But what else do you have to offer in addition to being a translator? And so this goes back to breaking out of that mindset of, well, I'm just a translator, I translate, what else can I do? Um, but let's say you're an expert in something like patents, patent translation. And your clients know that that's what you do. And that's why they work with you because you're an expert in that field. And your colleagues also are aware of your expertise in this area. So two things, you're not just a translator. You're also an expert in a very complex field. Mm. So what else can you do with that? Um, you might even, um, you might then think of what challenges people face when it comes to patent translations, both other translators maybe, or your clients. So could you serve your colleagues in some way who are, you know, aspiring patent translators? Could you teach courses on that? Um, could you help your clients overcome other challenges that they have when it comes to patents um, and translations of patents? So what challenges can you help you know, groups that know you for being an expert, what can you do to help them overcome those things? And what can you offer in addition to translation or interpreting to complement that um, that's going to help them reach their goals? 
So if we look to our colleagues who are offering complementary services based on their expertise and knowledge and skills, we see people who are offering things like editing, post-editing, transcreation, localization, copywriting, and so many more things. Um, and if you already offer several translation-related services, maybe you're just scratching the surface. You could offer something in addition. Maybe you want to get into transcription or voiceover or subtitling um, and add that to your wheelhouse. It doesn't always have to be language related, but there are many language related things that you could do. You could even become a consultant um, for businesses. I, I was reading something, I think it was yesterday, uh, where uh, this woman was teaching Chinese to executives who were moving to China to open um, a branch of their business there. And she ended up also um, offering a package to her customers that was, you know, here's how you do business in China, because it's very different from here right. um, as far as the way that you should handle a business transaction and so forth. And so she created a very lucrative package that she offers customers um, because she has skills in that area. She's a business person who also has the cultural knowledge of how to do business in China. That's diversification. It could be something totally, like I said, unrelated to language services. And I know colleagues who have expertise and skills in a lot of areas. I know translators who offer colleagues um, services uh, for formatting and OCR and, and things like that so that they're able to take on those complex like PDF documents. And this, mm -hmm. this particular colleague offers them the service of taking the, the formatting headache out of the equation for them and we'll get the document ready for them for translation. So the ideas and the opportunities are really endless, I think. And then Another thing to consider is also like once we have identified, you know, what types of uh, diversifications we'd like to get into or include in our services, mm -hmm. why, why is web presence for a translator or an interpreter, why is that important, especially now more than ever? Like why, mm -hmm. why would you say web presence is important? Yeah, definitely now more than ever. Um, just about everything these days is available online, right? I mean, if you want to know or find anything, it's pretty much at your fingertips to be able to do that. And that means that businesses need to have a web presence in order for customers to find them, to see what they're about, and to decide if they want to move forward with, with giving those companies their business. It's the same thing for freelance businesses. And when you have a business website, it's just a part of doing business these days. Um, you know, think about if you've ever tried to look up a business and you found that they don't have a website or even a landing page or that their website is so old and outdated that you're not even really sure if they're still in business anymore. Um, it can be really off-putting as a customer and it can mm -hmm. make you, it can make them look elsewhere to spend their money. Um, so we don't want our clients to experience that. And that's why a website is really one of the most basic pieces of your business these days, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. It can be very simple. It can be very clean and it can still be very inviting for your customers to learn about you and then to get in touch with you. Would you say, Madalena, that social media would be enough? Uh, I would say that it's not enough. And I would say that it's not the first thing you should do um, when marketing your business. It's the most obvious thing, I think, for a lot of people because people say, well, everybody's on social media, right? But um, here's the thing about social media is that we don't own any of those platforms that we mm -hmm. use, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. We don't own that. We only create an account with a password. But if those platforms were not popular anymore or they disappeared tomorrow, then 
you know, poof, there goes your, your web presence too. So that's really no way to do business. And it's not any way to live, like wondering if the platform you're using to reach your customers and interact with them is going to be gone tomorrow, or if they're going to change the algorithm to where people can no longer see your posts regularly anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's been a constant problem on all of those different social media platforms. Um, So what I suggest is something that I kind of phrase as building your home, which is your website first, and then the roads leading to it second. So if your website is your home base, which you own, and you can update and change it as you see fit whenever you want, and you have a place where clients can find you online, that you can adjust and not worry that it's going to just disappear or not become popular or something like that anymore, then the rest is just creating paths or roads for them to get there. So yes, you can use social media um, if your clients are using it, of course. You can use things like email lists. There are a multitude of tools, but those tools you don't own should always come second to your home base, which is your website. I love that. That's excellent advice. Absolutely. The roads that lead to your home base, especially when you talk about the social media platforms possibly disappearing, right? Um, Mm -hmm. MySpace could be a great example. (laughs) TikTok was on the verge of not being available anymore. So um, yeah, so uh, just things like that. Absolutely. Now again, and in the grand scheme of things, when we're thinking about all of this, and um, how does that phrase go? Something about when we overthink, um, we become paralyzed. I know I just I just butchered that phrase too. I can't remember how it goes. Analysis Verbatim, paralysis. That's it. Analysis paralysis. So then we end up doing nothing because of that, right? Mm-hmm. So where should a beginner begin? Mm. So I would say first to think about who your ideal clients are, like who are the clients who you really want to work with and who really love working with you and who are they? What do they want to know about you in order to make a decision about hiring you? And how can you convey that effectively to them in a way that's succinct and attractive? So I always tell people, of course, to start with their website, but let's say that you are really a beginner maybe you're fresh out of school or something and you don't have the $200 a year to host your website somewhere, you know, $200 give or take. Mm -hmm. Then I would say to set up your LinkedIn profile first to showcase Mm -hmm. your knowledge, your expertise, get some recommendations on there. And I have a few blog posts that if you like, you can share um, in the, in the show notes about this, but I always recommend, and I, I stand by that, you know, your website, but if, if you really have to start somewhere else first and it needs to be something um, free, LinkedIn is the way to go because LinkedIn is its own type of search engine. It's basically like Google for professionals. It is a huge search engine, so much so that even Google uses LinkedIn in a lot of its um, results that it turns back because it's considered, yeah, it's considered a trusted source. Uh, And so people who are looking for other professionals, I mean, that's why they're on LinkedIn. That's Mm -hmm. the point of LinkedIn. So I would say that is another good place to start. Yeah. And it's a great place to build your network as well. If you've got uh-huh. no one and you're just starting out, it's a, it's an amazing place to meet people and, and, and begin to establish, well, meet them virtually, but begin to establish that, uh, you know, that networking that it's so important that I've through the years, obviously it's been developing and, and just getting stronger, but I am so appreciative of the platform just because of the networking aspect in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you go from learning to doing? And I ask this because especially again, 
during these times from March until, you know, till now that we're in September, I can't believe that much time has gone by. But Mm -hmm. if many out there are like me, perhaps that I've just taken the opportunity to really get out there and learn as much as possible, particularly things that I needed to get more familiar with, you know, in terms of technology and being able to perform my job better, you know, and not just for myself, but for the organization that I work for. Uh, And then in addition to that, just you know, personal learning, professional learning on everything else that I just, I, I never found the time to be able to really, mm-hmm. you know, dig deep and, and uh, immerse myself in it that now it was like, okay, here's the time. What are you going to do with mm-hmm. it? And yeah. so we learn, 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 but then what do we do with everything that we learn? So how do we go from learning and really, you know, appreciating what we just captured into actually putting it into use? Like, could you name one thing a person can do today to begin to make that transition? Yeah, I would say the one thing you can do is schedule the time because it's exactly what you said. Time is always the issue. Time is our most valuable asset. A lot of people found themselves in the same position as you this year. They said, I haven't had time to work on my, on my website. I haven't had time to take all these courses. I haven't had time to, you know, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And so they found the time now and it was a good use of time, right? To start learning things that um, they've been putting off or to other, I mean, so many things were then offered online because of everything that happened this year. So there were even more opportunities, I think this year than usual. And uh, I would say, think about what your goals are. Why are you taking the time to learn something new and what are your goals or your for your like long-term goals for this use of the knowledge that you're acquiring. Uh, and before you get started learning, this is the, the tip that I have. It would be to take a moment to schedule some time afterwards to start implementing what you've learned. Mm. So I think a lot of people have done similarly. They've learned, learned, learned this year, and then they either become so overwhelmed with the amount of information they're absorbing mm-hmm. that they do nothing with it. Or they say, oh, I'll get to that later. I suddenly got busy. And then it's much harder to go back after that. So I like to think of it like two dials. If you're learning a lot at once, like like a lot of information or very intense amount, um, complicated topics or something, it's hard to implement a lot at once or at a high level at the same time that you're learning. For most people, I mean, for short term, it's possible, but for long term, it's not really feasible for most people. So while you're learning dial is turned up, your implementation dial probably has to be turned down and then vice versa. So then give yourself that time and put it on your calendar and say, I'm going to work on this now that I've acquired the knowledge. I'm going to work on X and then next week I'm going to work on Y and then Z. Go ahead and put that time into your calendar like it's a meeting. And then when you're working on implementing, then your learning dial is turned down because you don't want that time to pass. And then it gets harder and harder to go back to implementing what you've learned or by then maybe you've forgotten it. (laughs) You have to go over it again. So then you feel like you're wasting time or you become frustrated. And I've talked to a lot of colleagues who are happy with the fact that there's so many opportunities, but then they become so overwhelmed and they're like, but I haven't even finished that course or I haven't, you know, been able to work on this, even though I took that challenge this year. And so that's what I would say. I would say schedule the time before so that you don't have to worry about it after that. You know that it's coming up on your calendar and make it like it's a meeting. You know, you wouldn't cancel a meeting probably for something else. So make it an important meeting on your calendar. 
Yeah, that's so important. Yes, please. It, because it's it's a meeting with yourself. Don't devalue that time. You know, just keep that meeting and get to work. Because I, you know, I saw this uh, on another great blog post of uh, Madalena, and mm -hmm. she uses these these visuals that it just it, you know when when you tune one down, the other one tunes up, and it just it made so much sense. You know, for me, I thought. This is amazing. I'm, I'm so loving the fact that I can finally tap into all these different uh, learning resources. And, mm -hmm. and of course, the fact that the network just completely came together and began offering all these great learning opportunities that I also just immersed myself in that. But at some point, I, I did think, well, what now, though? I, I don't want to learn just to learn, even though I yeah. love learning, but I do. I mean, I'm attracted to these specific topics, but because I, I do want to do something with them. And so when I read your blog post, I just thought, ah, uh, yes, I think Madalena's writing this for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think just resonates perfectly. Yeah. It's very, it's very true. I mean, we're all kind of fall into that trap, you know, it's, we get excited about what we're learning, but then when we have to get down to actually implementing it, like, oh, now here's the work, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, Madalena, such great conversations. And, you know, I know there's so much more that uh, you can give to the audience. So I am absolutely going to include all the wonderful resources that I have come across that Madalena has so graciously put out there. Um, you know, you'll love her beautiful website and I'm going to connect the audience with everything that you have to offer. But we are coming down to the close of our wonderful session. But before closing, a couple last questions for you. Madalena. One is a little bit of a quirky one, but you are a translator. And so I'd love to know what your favorite word is. Oprah has a favorite word and her word is delicious, right? Oh. <laughs> she likes the way she likes the way that word rolls out. And in one of her in one of her books, she goes into, uh, you know, this whole conversation about that one word, which is so amazing. That's funny. So for you, whether it's a translated word or, you know, whatever that may be, what is your favorite word? I probably have a lot of favorite words. And sometimes <laughs> I hear words or I read them and I'm like, that's such a good word. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about this and I think for me, my favorite word, especially this year, is simplify. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes we make things more complicated than they have to be or we get caught up in so much to do and so much information coming at us from different places or um, we stall out on doing something that's important to us because we've overcomplicated it. Uh, if we just take a moment and sit back and say, how can I make this simpler? How can I make this less overwhelming? Um, I think simplification is something that seems obvious, but it's not so obvious sometimes when you're like in the thick of it, really thinking about all the different things you have to do and that are going on and Again, especially this year, simplifying is really important. And I read, I don't know where this quote comes from, I should find out, but I saw something the other day, um, like a sign, and it said, there's luxury in simplicity. And I think that's really true. Because when you try to cut back all the extra stuff that's really not that important, it turns out that things are a lot more clear and you can actually get a lot more done when you simplify things like your schedule or, you know, stop doing the things that maybe don't have to get done, even though we all think everything is important, you know, maybe right. not. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. Simplification, simplify. What new or future project 
are you currently working on and that you're excited about and that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah, thanks. So um, I am working on a new workshop for translators and interpreters on your web presence. So I don't have all the details to share here, but I am hoping to share that soon. So it's going to be a workshop. Um and that will be hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have that uh, launched. And then I will be doing a few webinars for colleagues coming up related to marketing and making the most of your web presence. And I'm about to start teaching the next session of my copywriting course um, that I've taught a few times now for training for translators, which is um, Corinne McKay's um, tra training business online. And so that's coming up in November. And then I have a very special project I'm working on that I hope to be able to share in 2021. So. A few more oh, months from now. So excited. Yes. And lastly, Madalena, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Thanks. Yes. Uh, so I have a website, which is just my name, madalenazampaolo.com, which I'm sure you can share in the show notes because it is a complicated name. I actually, it's not even my full name. My full name is Madalena Sanchez Zampalo, but that would have been really long. <laughs> Um, and so simplification, right? Simplification, yeah. It's just, and this is what happens is that people tend to leave out the, the middle anyway. So, um, and that's where I blog on topics related to improving your web presence, um, among other things, but especially that topic. And then anything, um, you know, from your website to search engine optimization and from LinkedIn to your online directory profiles that you might have, like through an association or something like that. So, I share a lot about those things. And then I'm also on Twitter at MS Zampalo. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Madalena. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on this platform. I truly did enjoy our conversation. I hope that those listening also grabbed a couple great nuggets here that they can begin implementing. And if not, there will be the links on the show notes where you can continue to look for the information she gives out. Wonderful free information that you're able to begin implementing right away. Thank you, Madalena, so much for your time. I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Take care. You too. That was Madalena San Paolo talking to us about simplifying and diversifying our business. Share your thoughts about this episode by taking a screenshot and sharing it on your social media. I'll see you guys next time. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to connect with me, please visit my website at www.brandtheinterpreter.com and click the Let's Connect button. Feel free to connect with me that way directly. You can also find me on social media. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as Brand the Interpreter or as Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Also, if you've not already, please subscribe to this podcast, share this episode, or leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. Thank you again and take care.